Matthew chapter number 16. Notice a very familiar text to you, verse number 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. I'll not preach all that text today, but I'm preaching on this subject. The house that Jesus built. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for being so good to us. And God, we thank you now. God, for the privilege to open your word. God, it's your word, not my word. God, it's your book. And we need every truth contained therein. And I pray today that, God, you would give us ears to hear. God, eyes to see, hearts to receive, and the courage to change and obey all that you say. Lord, help me to do it. I need it. So, God, I pray now that I'd decrease, you'd increase, that the Spirit of God would anoint this place, God, in such a way that something supernatural can indeed take place. God, we love you. We thank you. God, I thank you again for every person here this morning. And, God, I pray, God, for the lost man here today, that, God, you'd touch him and that He'd sense Your Spirit dealing with His heart, and He would respond by faith. God, I thank You for my pastor this morning. I pray for him. God, give him strength. God, help him in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have you ever heard that old saying, I'm in between a rock and a hard place? Well, I just read of a pastor who was walking down the street one day when he noticed a very small boy trying to press a doorbell on a house across the street. Uh, The boy wasn't very tall, and the doorbell was too high for him to reach. After watching the boy's efforts for a few minutes, the the pastor walked across the street, stepped up behind the little fella, kindly placed his hand on his shoulder, and then he leaned forward and gave the doorbell a good, steady, solid ring. Crouching down beside the little young man, he said, Okay, son, now what? To which the little boy replied, Now we run! I'd say that he felt like he was in between a rock and a hard place in that moment, wouldn't you? It may appear today that we collectively, perhaps you individually, are in between a rock and a hard place. Friend, instead of being squeezed by the two, why don't we just stand on the one who is the solid rock of Christ and find comfort in our circumstance today? Amen? Have you ever considered all of the references there are in the Scripture to to rocks, many times called stones in the Bible. 
It was a small stone in a sling guided by the hand of God that took down the Philistine giant in the valley of Elah. It, it was a large stone that was sealed the Lord's grave in Joseph's tomb. Uh, the, the children of Israel picked up 12 stones out of the dried up Jordan as they crossed it uh, to sit up on the other side as a memorial of what God had done. There was a heap of stones stacked up in the valley of Achor to remember the sin of Achan. Those stones were stones of memorials. Then there's the well-known rock at Meribah where in Exodus 17, 6, God told Moses to smite the rock and water would come out so that the people might drink. And then there's the cleft of the rock where the Lord hid Moses in as he passed by, showing him all his goodness in Exodus 33. But perhaps the reference to a rock that's remembered the most is found right here in this text when Jesus said, Upon this rock, I will build my church. And as we dive back into the text this morning, I want you to first notice in verse number 13, their location. Their location. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. Prior to this, the Lord Jesus and His disciples have been all over the region of Galilee. Many mighty miracles have taken place. The hungry have been fed. The sick have been healed. Uh, Matthew 15.30 says, Then great multitudes came to Him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others, and laid them down at Jesus' feet, and He healed them. Friend, can I say to you this morning, if you're here in need of a miracle, uh, perhaps your greatest need is salvation. If you're lost, it indeed is. But friend, Jesus can do the miracle that you need if you'll lay down at His feet. The supernatural second birth only comes through submission to His authority. And so we see Jesus healing them. The Lord has now left the region of Galilee and has traveled north to the region of Caesarea Philippi. In fact, this is probably the furthest north that He goes during His ministry and His earthly life. And so this area of Caesarea Philippi, uh, the city itself had once been called Panaeus because it was the center of worship for the pagan god Pan. He was said to be a half-goat, half-man, God of shepherds and fertility. And here in this place, where this scene is believed to have taken place, there's a giant cave. Although now that that cave is filled with stones due to an earthquake, at one time it was filled with water believed to have been 800 feet deep. And it's there that the heathen would bring their sacrifice to their pagan god. They would throw that sacrifice in as an act of worship. That cave many times has been referenced as the very gates of hell, the jaws of death. And that cave, would, it sits in the lower left-hand corner of a rock stone exposed mountain face that ascends up into the heaven. It's the pl- place there. There would be niches cut out in the side of that mountain where the pagan would place their idols. That's the location. But now notice the conversation starting in verse number 13. Jesus asked His disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? There's the question that's asked. The Lord Jesus here in the midst of this city asked this question. Now Christ in His omnipotence, He still knows all things and He knows there are people saying things about Him. They have differing views about Him and so He asked those that are closest to Him, what are people saying? 
Did you know it's still that way today? There's still many differing views about who Jesus is today. The Muslim says he was simply a prophet. The atheist says he's simply a man. Others will say he's a liar or a lunatic, but to the Christian we know him as Lord. He's Lord. And so we see the question, but notice their comments, verse number 14. So they said to him, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And when we look at that list of individuals, individually we can understand why some held those views. But what we may fail to realize or overlook is the fact that we can see that Jesus had all of those characteristics of those individuals collectively. You say, what do you mean? Well, John was a man who, was a, who had a mighty message. His message was hard-nosed, hellfire, brimstone, always contained repentance. We see that message found in Jesus in, in, in Matthew 21 as he comes into the temple. He cleanses the temple. We see uh, the characteristics of John in Matthew 23 when the Lord Jesus blasts the Pharisees seven times. He, he, he screams at them, yells at them, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, ye hypocrites. Friend, Jesus could see within their heart. He knew where they were. He knows the same about us today. He knows whether or not we're real or if in fact we're just playing the part. He knew that the devil had put it in Judas's heart to betray him. And he knows the same about us today. And so for some, they saw in Jesus, John the Baptist. Others said he was Elijah. John's message was mighty, but Elijah's miracles were mighty. And so in 1 Kings 17, we see Elijah standing before Ahab, declaring the heavens to withhold their rain. In 1 Kings 18, we see Elijah calling fire out of heaven down on Mount Carmel. In 1 Kings 17, we see Elijah sustaining the widow's oil and her flower and raising her dead son all by the hand of God. But then in the Gospels, we see Jesus, who is God, take His hands, bless, and break bread and feed thousands. We see Him raise the dead. We see Him cast out demons. We see Him give sight to the blind. Which, by the way, no miracle of giving sight to the blind is recorded nowhere in the Old Testament. It's proof of His Messiahship. Jesus was indeed mighty in miracle. But perhaps the one that stands out to me the most is the fact that they would compare Him to Jeremiah. John Phillips says that uh, a possible reason for individuals thinking that Jesus was Jeremiah... Uh, There was a legend that said Jeremiah, by God's command, had hidden the tabernacle, the ark, and the altar of incense in a cave in Mount Pisgah. And it would not be located until the time came that God restored the glory to Israel and also that Jeremiah would be resurrected from the dead. It's a legend. It's nowhere in the Bible. Simply a legend. I suppose that could be a reason why some folks would associate Jesus with Jeremiah, but not for me. You see, Jeremiah had a mighty ministry. He was known as the weeping prophet. So when I think about the Lord Jesus, three times in the Scripture it's recorded that Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus weeps over his dead friend Lazarus. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. In Luke 19, 41, we find Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, longing for the people to come to him. Hebrews 5, 7 records Jesus offering up prayers and supplication 
with vehement cries and tears. And we normally think about that in the context of the Garden of Gethsemane uh, on the last night of our Lord's earthly life. He's there crying out to God concerning the cup of God's wrath He's about to endure in His body. We should think about that in that context. Uh, But friend, listen. For Christ to be compared to Jeremiah, I see Him just as Jeremiah proclaimed at times. His head were as waters and His eyes as a fountain of tears. Uh, Jeremiah wept over the people day and night as they were slain in their sin. But Jesus, Isaiah says, was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Can't you see Him there off on the mountain praying with God? I wonder sometimes if he was praying the very words that he penned through the prophet hundreds of years prior when Jeremiah said, My soul, my soul, I'm pained in my very heart. My heart makes a noise within me. I cannot hold my peace. I wonder if he cried out like Jeremiah did over the city in Jeremiah 13, 17. But if you'll not hear me, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. Can't you see the Lord Jesus broken over His people as they reject Him? Can you see Him there? Any one of us this morning would have brought immediate judgment upon a people who rejected us. But not Jesus. And Jeremiah knew that. He proclaimed in Lamentations 3.22, It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Hillcrest Baptist Church, you hear me today. The only reason any of us have breath today is because of the mercy and grace of God. Jeremiah said, It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because His compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. He goes on to say, The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in Him. Verse 25, The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him to the soul that seeketh Him. Who are you seeking this morning? Who you, why did you come to Hillcrest Baptist Church today? Who did you come to see? I come to see Jesus. Some said he was John, some Elijah, some Jeremiah. Still others thought he was one of the prophets. John had a mighty message. Elijah was mighty in miracles. Jeremiah had a mighty ministry. But the prophets were mighty in mystery. Some were very odd, did strange things. People just couldn't figure them out. No doubt the Lord Jesus indeed done some very strange things in front of His disciples and in front of crowds. In fact, John 6, He told them that if they didn't eat of His flesh and drink of His blood, they'd have no part with Him. Prophets knew things that others did not. And our Lord Jesus was a perfect blend of all of these. He was hard when he needed to be hard. He was gentle when he needed to be gentle. He was strong and sturdy, meek but never weak, and wasn't afraid to weep. And what he proclaimed certainly came to pass. So we see the question, we see the comments. Now notice for you and me in verse number 15, the primary concern. The primary concern for you and I is found right here in this text. Verse 15, but who do you say that I am? Friend, eternity hinges on that one question. You do understand that, don't you? Who do you say Jesus Christ is this morning? I'm not asking you what others believe. I'm not asking you what our pastor believes. I'm not asking you what Hillcrest Baptist Church believes. What do you believe? I'm not asking you what the bylaw state or what the SBC statement of faith is. I'm asking you what you believe. 
Now some of you this morning, you may need to come face to face with the facts. What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe? I want to be as gentle as possible right here. I don't want to be an offense. I want to help you. Friend, some of you sitting here this morning, you do not have a clue what you believe about Jesus Christ. Others of you know what you believe, but because you do not spend any time in the Scripture, you cannot express it. What do you believe about Jesus? Maybe you just showed up here one Sunday morning because you heard we believed right. and We were the best church in town. We do believe right. I, I do believe we're one of the best churches in the state. But friend, listen to me. And let me say this. It'll only be that way because God made it that way. Friend, it's by His grace and by His mercy that if that's true, that we are. And it will only be that way if we stay humble where God can raise us up. James, uh, brother Mike preached about it the other night. He said, let the lowly brother humble, or let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Friend, we, we are rich around here, but we better stay humble before God. As the flower of the field, each one of us will pass away. And when we do, the only question, the question of who Jesus is, friend, it'll not be a simple concern. It better have been the very cause of our lives. When David showed up in the valley of Elah and heard that blasphemous Philistine giant cursing God's people for twice a day for 40 days, David heard it one time and he proclaimed these words to his brethren and to the army, Is there not a cause? For David, when the battle was at its toughest, Jehovah was still worth it. So who do you say Jesus is this morning? Is He worth it to you? Is He? He is to me. So notice here Peter's response. Notice what Peter says. Verse 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now watch this. I love this scene. Here these men are in the area of the worship of this pagan deity, these false idols, all kind of acts of ungodly worship take place in this area. These 12 disciples sitting around and Peter raises his head, looks into the eye, all-knowing eyes of the Lord Jesus and he says, you are the Christ. That's the Messiah, the anointed one, the fulfillment of every promise. You are the Christ, not a Christ, not one of many Christs. You are the Christ, the one and only Christ. The Son of the living God. There He is, deity in the very dust right there. Sitting with these twelve, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Word has become flesh, is dwelling right there in their midst. And Peter says, you are the Son of the living God. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Uh, Friend, listen, if He's your God, you're going to live too. Jesus said, though He die, He'll live again. And so we see that God, Jehovah, is the God of the living. And so realize right here in this one statement, Peter puts Jesus on the throne of Israel. He says, you're the Messiah. He puts Him on the throne of the universe, the Son of the living God. And He proclaims Him to be on the very throne of His heart. So before we go any further, I ask you again, 
Who do you say Jesus is this morning? You tell me who Jesus is to you and I'll tell you where you're going based on the Scripture. That's the response. Now secondly, notice the revelation, verse number 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now we realize at this point this has turned very personal. In verses 13 through 15, Jesus was talking to his disciples, but now he's speaking straight to Peter. Friend, this is a visible reflection of what Paul stated in 1 Timothy 2.5. Personal conversion takes place between God and man through the one mediator who is Jesus Christ. And watch what he says right here. For the Bible student, the phraseology here is fantastic. I love it. Verse 16. Notice what Peter says. Notice, he says, you are the Son of God. In verse 17, notice what Jesus says. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. You say, what's he talking about? The prefix bar in front of a name simply suggests the son of. Everyone in this crowd, the twelve there, every one of those men were quite aware that Peter was the son of Jonah. Now you hear what I'm going to say to you. The Lord's reply to Simon in effect confirms what Simon has just said about him. It's as if he said, you're right, Simon. Just as much as you're the son of Jonah, I am the son of God. Isn't that impressive? Notice here Jesus said that the Father revealed this to Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You you, you listen to what we're saying this morning. Friend, I can stand right here and I can proclaim truth all day. But until God reveals it to your heart, it's still that way today, friend. John 6, says, No one come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up the last day. The Greek word for revealed here is the, is the term apocalypto. It means to take the cover off. In fact, it's the very root word of the word that we get the title of the book of Revelation for. Now check this out. Sitting in that crowd of disciples, and no doubt in this crowd today and all over the world, there were two kinds of people. Only two kinds of people. Those that can see and those that cannot. There are those, per Ephesians 1.18, who have had the eyes of their understanding enlightened. Then there are those who, according to 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this world hath blinded the mind of them which believe not. You say, well, Brother Shane, that sounds like some folks can get saved, some can't. No. If some folks could get saved and some couldn't, then there would have been no need for the blind man to say, though I was blind, now I see. You do understand that that's what the miracles were all about, the point of the message. The blind can receive their sight. Paul said, God desired all men to be saved. Friend, all men, every man who's ever been can be saved. But all men cannot be saved on their own terms, nor on their time. But when God draws them... Now, friend, listen. Do you know what happens when, a, when fish are drawn up in a net? You see the... How many of you ever thrown a cast net? Man, I'm a country boy at heart. I, I used to love to fish and hunt. One of, the, one of the hardest things I ever learned how to do is throw a cast net. 
But when you throw that thing just right, it'll spread out. And as it sinks to the bottom, and you begin to pull that rope up, it begins to come up and under everything that's in it. And when it does, you know what the fish do? They start to struggle. When fish are drawn up in the net, they struggle. They're doing all they can to get away. Now hear me. That is exactly what happens in the flesh when the gospel net is cast and it first touches your heart. Your flesh begins to struggle. It begins to do all that it can to get out of that situation, to get away. But friend, you cannot get away from God. If God touches your heart today, why don't you just stop fighting against Him? He's trying to show you that Jesus is the only way. And so we see the response. We see the revelation. Thirdly, notice the rock. The rock. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, And I also say unto thee, Thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Here our Lord changes Peter's name. The old man is gone. He says, Now you'll be called Peter. The Greek term there is Petros. It means little rock, loose stone, pebble. He says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, that's a different term. You see, Peter's name was Petros, but this term he uses for rock is Petra. And it means a rock or cliff. It means a foundation stone, bedrock. Now, contrary to Catholic belief, Christ is not pointing Peter to Peter as the first pope. He's not doing that at all. In fact, he's not even talking about Peter. He's talking about Peter's profession. Now, that's further evidenced in the meanings here of these names. Peter's old name, Simon, uh, you know what it means? Dr. Adrian Rogers says it means unstable. No more instability in your life, Peter. You know why some of you up and down, in and out, always falling around? Listen to me. Simply because you're unstable. You are building your house on sinking sand and not seeking the wisdom that only comes from God. You're double-minded and unstable in all your ways. Now keep in mind right here, where they at? Where they at? They're in front of this place of pagan worship. This magnificent cliff face where the worship of pagan deities takes place. Friends, stay close with me right here because the tide's about to rise, okay? Stay close. We've seen the question, we see the comments, now note, and we notice the primary concern, but now see, now see some words of comfort. Hillcrest, you need some words of comfort this morning. And I do too. I've already told you repeatedly that this was the place of the worship of the god Pan. But what I did not tell you is that uh, he was said to be the God who influenced panic into the lives of people. So watch this. Are you looking? Say, I'm looking. In the place of panic, roughly six months prior to the cross where these men would be scared to death, out of their mind, not know what's going on. Friend, Jesus says to these men, here in the place of panic, don't panic. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Do you hear what I'm saying? I know you may feel like the ground is shifting underneath your feet at times, but friend, Christ is still the cornerstone. 
The rain may be falling and the winds might be blowing, but thank God the house is still standing because she's built on the rock. Amen. Jesus said, I will build my church. You listen to me. The unchanging Christ still says the same thing today. Times may change. Faces may change. But friend, Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord. I change not. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. Friend, it was His plan then. It's still His plan today. Upon this rock I'll build my church. The master builder still got a plan even when we don't understand. So if you're wondering this morning, you can stop asking the question, what are we going to do? I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to praise. We're going to pray. We're going to preach, teach, and reach like never before. Friend, the Lord will build His church. It's not time to back up but to stand up. Friend, it's not time to bail out or freak out. It's time to fall down and worship before the throne of grace. Friend, listen to me. Jesus is the rock on which we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. He said, I'll build my church. David said in Psalm 18 too, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. He's my God, my strength in whom I'll trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation, my high tower. He said in Psalm 31, 3, For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, Lord, lead me and guide me. Friend, that's the reason this place exists, for the great namesake of God. David said in Psalm 61, When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. When we don't know what to do, we just need to pray the words of that old song. You're the rock of my salvation. You're my strength of life. You're my hope and my inspiration. Lord, unto you will I cry. Many of you remember this. Chevrolet used to have a commercial boasting of their truck's dependability. Contained within that commercial was the song that proclaimed it to be like a rock. I want to say to you this morning, there's no question in the dependability of our God. Friend, He's not like a rock. He is the rock. He is the rock of ages, the ancient of days, the God who knows all things. He's the stone that the builders rejected, but He's the chief cornerstone. Notice what Jesus says. He said, I'll build my church. But it's not my church. It's not your church. It's not the staff. It don't belong to the deacons, friend. It belongs to Jesus. He didn't tell Peter to build it. He said, I'll build it. We're part of the body. We're stewards of His church. Friend, Jesus in a, in a gift of grace has given us what we have today. Every person here this morning is a gift one to another in the body of Christ. We better be mindful of that when we handle each other. We better handle them with the care of Christ. The church belongs to Jesus. He's going to build it. Notice what He says in verse 18. He says, I'll build... My church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why the gates? What's what's the significance of the gates? Because in the Old Testament, the the gate is the place of authority. It's the place of authority. Family of God, you hear me? Jesus Christ is going to build His church. It's His. And all of the authority of hell cannot stop Him. Will not stop Him. Now it's fairly evident based upon the reading of this text that there's going to be a fight on our hands. It's just that way. 
Jesus never said the authorities of hell would not come against us. He said they would not prevail against us. The word means to overpower. And so friend, I say to you this morning, in the place where it looks like the enemy may be about to prevail, if you belong to Jesus, friend, the victory's already won. And the victory has been won for us. Paul said in Romans 8.31, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so here's what I say to you in these days. Why don't we seek the face of God like never before so that we can proclaim that God is indeed working on our behalf? We lift up our pastor, we lift up our people, we lift up our community, praying and asking God to work in our midst. Lost man here this morning, why don't you come and surrender your heart to Christ today, knowing that He has made a way to provide salvation for you. Just open up the door of your heart and let the Savior come in. 